Hello and welcome to Into the Foliage, a monthly side series of Into the Wild focusing on the green side of nature. This episode of Into the Foliage is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Well, hello, welcome to into the foliage jan is actually not with us today because she's unwell so get well soon jan she's fine everyone by the way don't please don't panic panic the right level like be be empathetic (laughs) you don't have to worry about it she's okay um so i am riding the into the foliage train solo well not solo obviously i have my guest here but as a host i'm solo today but joining me on today's episode to talk about hedgerows which i feel like has been on my Twitter feed more than I ever thought hedgerows ever would before in the last year, which is all, always lovely, but it always comes out. It's a very seasonal topic. Um, is um, Megan Gimber. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on Into the Foliage. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, before we get on and talk about our topic today and talk about yourself, um, me and Jan usually talk about our plant highlights. Now, I've recently moved and don't have a garden. Well, I say recently, it was last year, but... So mine have gone less and less, <laughs> especially during the winter. But I'll ask yourself, and then I'll do my one, but have you got a gardening plant highlight that you've had recently? Uh, I've actually got two. You've got two? Yes. <laughs> I know, greedy or what. Um, first of all, the blackthorn flowers are out, um, and I just love this time of year. It's It, it reminds me that spring is just around the corner, um, and the glutton that I am, it reminds me that... We will soon have fruits in the in the hedges. We will have sloes to make slow gin. We'll have damsons to make damson wine. Oh and, God, I and can't wait! And there'll be plenty wait. of hedgerow fruit <laughs> later in the I year. I can't wait. <laughs> and my second so that's, one is that actually, your one? Yeah. My second one is that um, I have uncovered some of the grafts that I that, that I did. I do some apple grafting for. We've got a traditional orchard down here, um, and I un- unravelled some of the apple grafts I did this time last year um, to see that they've all healed nicely. So I'm going to pot them up, and this time next year they'll go into the ground, and we'll have even more apple trees in our orchard. Oh, I should have gone first because yours are way better than mine. <laughs> Sorry. Yours are so much, so much better than mine. That's amazing. You've got like an orchard, apple orchard. Yeah, it's a, it's an old traditional cider orchard. We only know half the varieties because some of them are just so difficult to ID. Um, but we try to, to graft from the ones that we don't know so that we can keep them going regardless. That's so. And you make cider from them. I, I well, I, I always attempt to make cider. It I love you the make cider something. I make, but it's um, <laughs> it's different every time. That's part of what I love about it. It tastes that different is, every time. That is the most diplomatic way to describe your own side. It's different every time. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean it's stronger every time? <laughs> oh god, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. I'd absolutely love that. Well, okay, let's let me share my plant highlight. Well, I've, okay, I've kind of got two. My first one is that I've got a lovely window ledge. Uh, kind of balcony not balcony I can't get on it but it's a nice window ledge that I can creep out into and my cosmos so I collected my cosmos um seeds that 
I had from last year. But it turns out I didn't collect them all because every pot I have out there, I've now got little cosmos grown out. So clearly some self-seeding has gone on with those plants, which kind of made me a bit more excited because it means I don't have to go out there a lot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, grand, you're all cracking on with yourselves. <laughs> so I think if my window ledge becomes a display of cosmos and two lavender plants either side and a rose look shrub, I'm happy with that. I don't have to do too much work this year. The bees will like it. The butterflies will like it. So I'm like, I'm fine with that. So Plants that's my number one. are amazing, one. aren't they? They'll just get on with things. They don't... <laughs> right. Right. Even sometimes if they're annuals, sometimes they do just manage to... I guess when you're working with pots, there's more bare soil. So it's more likely to happen with the self-seeding sometimes. So, But we think it's always got to be perennials. But sometimes if you've got the bare soil, annuals will just self-seed themselves. And you don't have to do... You've got to do the clearing work, obviously, but you don't have to do much. Um... And my next one is, so the listeners will know that I've got a new community garden project starting and the letter went out to the residents six days ago, which means we've only got seven more days to wait to see if anyone has a grumble about it. And if not, we'll be in in a week's time and we can start clearing and building our beds and making our tire planters and stuff like that. So that's my second bit of highlight that I've got and I'm very excited about. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? I love this time of year. And I've got to say, Megan, you told me before we started recording, you're down in Devon, so you're already midway through summer. And... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as close as we come to it. <laughs> um, I'm just going to tell this to the listeners because a few people I know in Devon have been sending me pictures of flowers that we don't get, in even in London with our microclimate, until well probably we'll start coming out in the next two or three weeks now but i'm so jealous of you like that little bit closer to the equator right let's get on and start with into the foliage so megan before we start talking about our topic do you want to just tell us um who you are and what is it you do yeah of course so i'm i'm megan gimba and i work for a conservation charity called people's trust for endangered species um so technically i work as the key habitats officer i know it's not technically an endangered species um, but they do hold a a load of endangered species Um, and actually my main focus is hedgerows so I run a couple of hedgerow surveys some for wildlife enthusiasts wildlife groups um, and one for landowners farmers specifically to help them manage their hedgerows in the best way for the hedges structure and for the wildlife within it. Wow that's really cool and when you say key habitats what are the list of key habitats in the UK is there a list? There's a list of priority habitats, but it's slightly different from yeah. our key habitats at PTES. Um, our, our key habitats at, at People's Trust for Endangered Species generally follow the the, the work that we do and the habitats of the species that, that, that sort of um, mm. live within them. So um, I work specifically on hedgerows, traditional orchards um, and wood pasture, but we also do things with ancient woodland um, and coppice woodland as well. That's really cool. Do you love a woodland? You must like, because those are the environments you're hanging out. Do you really like woodlands? I absolutely love a good woodland. Absolutely. But actually, (laughs) (laughs) I really love the the woodland edges. I'll talk a bit more later about it. But woodland edges, like glades and rides and the bits of woodlands where where light can creep in. Those are the Mm. bits of the woodland that you find all of the most interesting wildlife. So it doesn't ha- happen to always be under the closed canopy dark bits of a woodland, but but actually where where you've got light coming through that you get the most wildlife value. It's amazing. Oh, obviously, with the work that you do, um, the natural world means a lot to you, Megan, but what would you say is your favourite part of the natural world? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> how long have we got? 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's either a super long answer usually or a very short answer. So I, I think I, I really love learning about things. Um, uh, and I just love with the natural world that there is always, there's always more to learn and there's more always more to understand. You, you can't get bored of the natural world because the closer you look, the more interesting, the more complex, um, and the more intertwined everything gets. And and again, working working with UK habitats, I just love the fact that you don't you don't have to travel to a tropical rainforest to see all of this. You can have a wild corner in your back garden. You can go to your local park, um, or of course your local hedge, um, and, and see what's <laughs> in it. And it changes throughout the year. It changes from year to year. Um, I think that's marvelous. But I think what also I love is that you know when I was a kid. I thought that we knew most things. I thought that science was about learning the facts and figures that scientists had discovered and that we knew, yeah. knew most everything. But actually, <laughs> I think it's even more exciting to realise there's still so much to discover in the yeah, natural we know world. Nothing. <laughs> and the more you scratch the surface, the, 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 the less we realise we actually understand. That's so true. I think, was it one uh, World, uh, um, World Wildlife Day the other day? I said the one thing I love about wildlife and, and the natural world, but focusing on wildlife, is that it's like a great film that just doesn't end. Every time you think, like you said, you've understood a bit, the next year they go, oh, it's completely different, or we've got this new species, and it's just every completely. day it blows my a mind. A whole new player, a whole new character, <laughs> yeah. a whole new domain of things that you had no idea about before. <laughs> Exactly. It's like Game of Thrones, but <laughs> twice the length. Like. <laughs> and twice as humbling. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, a little bit less harrowing, but actually, but it's probably not parts of nature. Oh, There's not if you look closely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that couldn't have been more wrong, actually. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the big, big, your passion, which is hedgerows. Um, now, I said before, just before we started the chat, is that they they seem to have appeared on my Twitter and my Instagram a lot more. And it is a seasonal thing, which I'm sure we'll focus on why that is later on. But what is it about these wild shrubs that you love? Oh, absolutely everything about them. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think no matter what your interests are, and no matter what your interests you come to hedgerows with, they have something fascinating for you. Um, mm. I mean, I, I first came to love hedgerows as a kid because I was a gluttonous child, and I, I still am. Um, so obviously you go to the hedgerows. <laughs> I love you keep using that word. I don't know why I <laughs> find it funny. It's true, it's true. Um, and so hedgerows were, were where you went when you want to collect some blackberries or some elderberries. And, you know, it's it's what introduced me to, to plant ID when I was young, to got me into plants and nature in the first first place. Um, and you know, mainly working out what was and wasn't edible, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. But then when I, <laughs> but then when I started working with hedges, you know, in a, in a more professional context, I just I started to understand how deeply incredible they are for mm. wildlife. I've, obviously, I've come to this through conservation, but also you know they've got really deep, they've got ancient roots to them. They they have a fascinating and, and and fairly turbulent political history. They've got amazing sort of traditions and crafts and folklore associated with them. And then of course there's just all of the ways in which they're good for us as humans, which I find amazing as well. So as well as you know a huge and enormous um, potential to do to do more for us in the future if we manage them well. So really it doesn't doesn't matter what your interests are. There is some way that hedgerows will will meet them and and be exciting to you. Well, how do we define a hedgerow? What makes it a hedgerow? Oh, this one's a difficult one to answer because hedgerows are actually different all over the countryside. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, they are. Honestly, I That's what it. actually that is really it. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in some places down in Cornwall, you know that they're, they're, they're 
stone-faced banks. Um, sometimes they don't have um, woody shrubs on them at all. Um, you know, oh. it, uh, so, in some places they they are sort of single species um, hedges, mainly just hawthorn. In other places, mm. like where I am in Devon, we've got these amazing hedgerows, best in the world, I'd say, but I am biased. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stop bigging up Devon. I'm moving to Devon. <laughs> I, I would thoroughly recommend it. <laughs> um, where you have these amazing banked hedgerows, huge, great things, um, most mostly medieval, actually. I think these are, are banked oh, wow. hedgerows. So you've got this fantastic bank with the herbaceous stuff on the sides and the woody stuff on the top. Absolutely brilliant. But actually, at their core, hedges, I think you'd have to describe them quite boringly as linear features made up of shrubs and trees. Um, but actually, in reality, they're, they're a lot more than this. They're, they're hugely dynamic. Yeah. They change across the countryside, which is which is fascinating. Some have more of this sort of herbaceous growth near the base. Some, have, as I said, are sat on banks. Some have ditches. And actually, it's a combination of all these features that's at the root of what makes hedges so sort of unbelievably good for wildlife. And are they... I'm not sure if this is a silly question. And, you know, listeners are probably used to Ryan asking a question that might sound a bit silly. But they're... Um, I'm just going to ask it. They're not a natural thing, are they? They're, they're when you say the ancient history, they are placed. Have they? They're not. Is that a stupid question? I don't know. It's not a stupid question, and it's actually got quite a complex answer. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, good. Thank God for that. <laughs> so no, most hedgerows aren't natural. Most hedgerows are planted man-made features. We've actually got some hedges which we call assart hedges, which could mm. be described as being a little bit more natural. Um, in that they are the sort of the remnants that we left as we cleared fields. So as we cleared fields from woodlands, um, we left strips around the edge um, ah, and they right, became okay. our boundaries, they became our, our hedgerow features. So some of them really do have very, very ancient roots to them. And again, you know, all of the associated diversity of plants in them, of genetic diversity as well within the, within the tree stock that's in them, you know, huge amount of genetic diversity within our, our hedges that we do really need to make sure we cherish. But actually, the man-made or natural conversation gets more complicated still in that even the hedges that are sort of man-made or, or planted by humans, they have this really sort of deep structural connection to mm. to our ancient wildwood. So this wonderful sort of mixture of open-grown trees, flowering and fruiting scrub and grazed pasture, which is that sort of wonderful mix that you get in hedgerows. In fact, wherever you tend to find that combination, you you generally get a really ecologically rich habitat, man-made or not. So wherever you find that combination, it's it's basically ecological dynamite. <laughs> and there's, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some really interesting sort of insight as to, to why that might be. And I, and I think the idea that that's so similar to what we what we now think our pre-agricultural wildwood would have looked mm. like, it wouldn't have been necessarily closed canopy woodland um but actually there would have been much more sort of open space much many more scattered trees scrub it would have all been really dynamic because it would have been changing with the whims of sort of large migratory herbivores but it, it was that sort of habitat structure that a lot of our ecology adapted to um so actually it sort of makes sense that all of those sort of cultural habitats the sort of hedges traditional orchards wood pastures they all mimic this wonderful structure, these open-grown trees, flowering and fruiting scrub and, and grazed pasture. So it really help, helps go a long way to actually 
explain why they're so fantastic for wildlife. So again, even hedges that are planted and man-made share this sort of deep-rooted uh, mm. structure that's, you know, so fantastic for wildlife. And I guess it's encouraging those back as well um, from any time scale. You know, we have these ancient ones, we have these ones that have been here for, you know, generations of whether we look at that ecologically or, or from, you know, human generations. But also, I guess, bringing them back and starting to regenerate some of them is looking not back, it's looking forward to what can be placed back in to help the same biodiversity, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's and it's understanding what makes them so ecologically rich. That that will influence how we how we plant them, what we put in them, how we manage them, where we put them. They're not necessarily appropriate everywhere. Mm. And uh, it, yeah, a lot of that really does influence how we how we look after the hedges that we've got. Not just sort of the ancient ones, but the ones that we might want to plant in the future as well. I remember I was I was in Wales for my brother's stag do, and there was some this side story and there was <laughs> we were walking in to the obviously to the pub and on the way there so we had these really tall hedgerows i mean i'm six foot seven they were higher than me they were you know they must have been about seven foot and i think they were probably up a little bit anyway the road might have been like a little bit lower than ground level and you know on the walk down to the pub we saw we saw bees you saw hoverfly you you saw just you know pollinators everywhere from all from beetles to, to, to wasps and bees and stuff and then when we came back, uh, now obviously this is on the way back from the pub, and everything <laughs> I did see, I did, I did see. <laughs> it wasn't drunk vision, um, but you know, it, we were walking back at night at this point, and just lit by the moonlight to see the nocturnal wildlife. Then using them from bats to owls to I, I can't remember what you had frogs using the base. Still, you could see or you could see things moving, probably small mammals as well. But scattering and stuff on this 45-minute walk next to them was just outstanding. It was like there was just as much life scattering around or flying above these hedgerows than there, than there was at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon from a pollinator and from a daylight. It was absolutely incredible. To see it from both ends of the spectrum was amazing. That's actually a really good example of, of why hedgerows are so good for wildlife. Mm. Um, funny you should mention them. I, I mean, um, that's, you know, for, for wildlife, hedges hedges are, are good as, as a habitat, so a physical home, for food and shelter, um, and also as sort of uh, wildlife corridors, people like to, to describe mm. them as. So those three ways are the three main ways that wildlife uh, sort of thrive from hedgerows and, and benefit from their presence. But bats are a really good example because they, they can use they can use hedges for all three of those. So, you know, they might live in hedgerow trees. Lots of our bat species live in trees and especially trees like open grown trees, which can often get older than mm. um, a lot of woodland closed canopy trees. They will use the hedgerows as corridors to commute between their their roosting site and their feeding site to commute um commute yes <laughs> i love it <laughs> um and like where they all echo locate so they, they really do rely on these sort of linear features to actually sort of get around the countryside uh, and and lastly of course like me they, they also use hedges as, as a food source so they go around hoovering <laughs> up all the insects that are sort of thriving within the hedgerow habitat so yeah absolutely yeah, of course. that's that's I'm, I'm glad you mentioned them they are a really good example we couldn't quite believe like the amount we were seeing as well it wasn't just like one or two bats were flying across you know you were you we were seeing within between 10 and 15 on a maybe a 50 meter stretch of this just flying across which i'm not sure if that is a lot for the area but it was enough to be like oh god there's another one there's another one it was you know and we're walking quite quick and it was so lovely to see them just under the moonlight enough to just see the 
dark feature, obviously, once our eyes had, had adjust. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. So you, you spoke about a bit of the purpose that hedgerows serve there. Um, and I guess this is the same reason why they're important. Now, when we say wildlife corridors, I guess this is a term we've not actually really spoken about in the show before. What are they corridors for? What, where are they connecting one from one area to another? What, what, where is that? Where would that be for? Well, they, they connect up all of the rest of the habitat of the UK, really. Um, and w- when you think about it, 70% of the UK is agricultural land, um, 12% mm. is urban, and actually hedges are a really good way of making sure that other pockets of habitat are, are connected up. Um, so at PTS, we do a lot of work with dormice, really charismatic, cute, fluffy dormice. Adorable. Um, adorable, <laughs> totally adorable. Um, <laughs> and actually, it, you know, a lot of people associate them with coppice woodland because that's where that's where we, we see them most and we do a lot of surveying for them in, in coppice woodland. Um, but actually, they can live in hedges as well. Um, but the way that dormice rely on hedges with the, with, in, in terms of hedges acting as corridors is that dormice are arboreal creatures. They don't actually like scampering across the ground. They're too sort of vulnerable to predation. So actually they much prefer travelling through branches. And of course, if they want to travel from one piece of woodland to another, you know, it's actually hedges that connect all of our pa- patches of woodland together. And this this connectivity, these corridors are, are really important for dormice. So they can allow dormice maybe to live in fragments of woodland that might be otherwise too small. To, to support a, a viable population by maybe connecting up two smaller patches of woodland, making it uh, large enough for a, for a population itself. It can help gene flow between different populations in different woodlands. That's interesting. That's yeah. really, really important, actually, because as soon as you've got a population that's isolated, it becomes much more vulnerable, much more vulnerable yeah. to extinction locally. Um, so actually making sure all of these populations in these different woodlands are connected is really, really valuable. Of course, it can allow sort of movement that, that can recover declining populations. But as an optimist, as an eternal optimist, I'd also <laughs> say if you've got a booming population of dormice somewhere, it can actually allow some, some migration to, to from a booming population to go out and actually find new patches of habitat that might, you know, might become suitable or might become available. You know, we're doing a huge amount of hedgerow planting, um, woodland planting at the moment. So quite soon there will be, you know, new suitable habitat for dormice and hedges are going to be the way that they get there. Is it, are, are people actually turning away from hedges? Is this something we see as, as the world, you know, ever changes and ever progresses, I say in, quota- in quotations? <laughs> um, but is hedgerows things that people are using less are we worried about people getting rid of them or is it just a case of a lot have been cleared i actually think the opposite i'm 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 hugely optimistic by what i'm seeing at the moment um we're we're starting to realize how many ways that they provide value for us people say that it was all about keeping people keeping cattle in and that was we we don't need that anymore because we've got barbed wire fences but i i don't believe that it was ever just about keeping the cows in hedges provide so 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 many values for us and we're actually you know there was a brief period of time where we may have forgotten some of those values and sort of strive to be 
a bit more efficient. I'm thinking mid last century, really. But actually now we're, we're seeing how many ways they, they value us through being a, a source of pollinators for our crops. The source of pest control, you know, they host amazing insects that will go out into, into our crops and forage for all the aphids and things and, and help keep our crop pests under control. They help reduce soil erosion, reduce pollution, reduce flooding. They, they've got so, so many values that we're, we're, we're slowly starting to, to realise that actually people are more excited about hedges than I've seen them in years. It's They're becoming quite a trendy topic. <laughs> they um, really are. They are. And, and, you know, farmers are doing fantastic work actually replanting the hedges that we that we lost last century. That's amazing. That's, it's so nice when people recognise it and, and start returning it. I think that's so nice because, I mean, we talk about why they're so important. And I guess this might be an obvious question, but what, what's the risk to wildlife and to us if we did start to lose hedgerows? Oh, the, the risk to wildlife would be huge. I mean, they're, they're one of our biggest nature reserves across the country, I'd say. And again, mm. it's, it's, there's a huge amount of hedgerows and they provide so much for wildlife. Even things that don't live in hedgerows use hedgerows for food, for shelter, for, for, yeah. for as corridors. You know, we would be absolutely lost without them. Um, and again, as landowners, as landowners, you know, we, we're starting to realise, you know, how, how many ways they benefit us. You know, things like carbon, all sorts of, all sorts of ways. Um, that actually the, the trend is to be putting them in and restoring them and making sure that they have a healthy future rather than removing them, which is which is brilliant to see. And I've got to ask because obviously, I mean, I guess because you're so passionate about this habitat and these and these uh, type of wild shrubs, what is your favourite, <laughs> always a hard question, <laughs> I've got to try and think how to word this, what's your favourite, when I say type of hedgerow, I mean, what's your favourite kind of shrub or tree or type of foliage that makes up the hedgerow? You've got to have a favourite. Oh, I'm going to really annoy you now then. And I'm going to say mixed hedgerow because I'm going to, I'm going no, to you blank can't. out the rest of that. And I heard, I heard what's your favourite type of hedgerow. <laughs> and it's a mixed species one. It's one that's got lots of different species in. Um, and that's, that's a very, you're very be... good at diplomatic answers. <laughs> I should be a politician. <laughs> you should have been, yes. I think we're all involved. <laughs> um, but, but mixed species hedges, you know, it means they provide yeah. flowers throughout the year. They provide fruit throughout the year. Mm. Um, they're much better for wildlife uh, because, you know, um, you know, some things will specialise on different plants, so you'll get you'll get all of that. But they'll also be foraged for a much longer period of the year. But also, actually, they're, they're more robust. So mixed species hedges, you know, if we're seeing catastrophic declines caused by things like ash dieback, we we saw huge mm. declines with Dutch elm disease. You know, we we aren't immune to to disease and to to losing like whole swathes of trees and shrubs. So actually. I would say a mixed species hedge gives you much more robust sort of hedgerow in the long term when actually we're not really seeing that much slowdown in the in the risk to our tree species through through diseases and through pests and things that seem to um delight in in attacking our trees. Okay. So, mixed hedgerow. <laughs> Sorry, that was a favorite. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's good because when when you was when you said mixed hedgerow, I was like, of course, mixed hedgerow. Why would it not be mixed? Everything. <laughs> that's the perfect answer, isn't it? It's like what, what, like you want mixed of everything. You want rich biodiversity, so it, it helps. So of course, that's your answer. Diversity begets diversity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what's your your favorite fruit to get from a hedgerow? 
Because you kept saying gluttonous. So oh yeah. You've got to have it. You've got to have a shrug <laughs> that you absolutely like. You get in. Like this is in the middle. Uh it's. I think it's changed recently. Actually, it always used. It always it? used to be um, blackberries. Um, but last yeah, year I made a batch of damson wine from hedgerows, <laughs> and I'm now <laughs> quite into damson trees and hedges. <laughs> What I've learned about Megan on this call is that you just make it a like a plethora of alcohol. <laughs> it's a bonus. It's a perk. <laughs> it's a perk of the job. Uh, damson wine. Mm, yeah, very I very bet delicious. That's amazing. Very is it? easy to How make. How do you actually. make it? Uh, well, um, I went foraging on a on a damson hedgerow, collected loads of damsons, made the wine. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. that, um, is, that is that one of the steps? <laughs> one of the steps to like making damson wine is it's, collect it's, the damson. It's just very simple. Make it the does wine. most of it itself. <laughs> but what I, what I, I did it. enjoy doing, actually, is um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't mention this in public, but I took the stones from the damsons that, I, that right. I'd foraged and I went back to the hedge that I'd foraged them from and I went yeah. gorilla gardening and I and I took an umbrella and a trowel and I sort of made little holes in because it was quite a gappy hedge to be honest it needed some gapping up and so I a took the stones hedge. back <laughs> and I put them back in the soil uh, and and hopefully some more dams and trees will be will be filling up those gaps as we speak look I would think that anyone that listens to this show, or anyone, I challenge anyone on this show that I would call both if they haven't done a bit of gorilla gardening. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. I've I've seen a native poppy grow in, and, or a native cornflower, and gone on the seed pod and gone and scatter that in a place that needs it. <laughs> Cautiously though, and carefully. Absolutely. <laughs> Ecologically, uh, responsibly. Yeah, make sure it's native. Make sure it's not going to do more harm than good, always. But most of the people that gorilla garden know, don't they? There's always so much worrying. Do you know what I mean? I know there are mistakes made, but like you, like you know what you're doing. A lot more people. It's like, ah, come on, better than no- especially in London. This is my view a lot of the time because we have, you know, we we love in London planting a tree and then putting concrete around it, which makes no sense. So people round where I am in uh, Highgate and Archway. They, they just when they put a new tree in, the neighbours are like flies round. Like as soon as they put it there, before they pour the concrete, they're putting in little flower beds, and then they fill it with soil, and then they put seeds and stuff in it, so it all grows. And I can't concrete it now. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I love stuff like that. Um, okay, cool. So my favourite one. I'm going to share. Does it, did you say slows? A slows included in a shrub in a hedgerow would slows? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So slows are the fruit of blackthorn flower. So blackthorn course, is, a, yeah, is an absolutely fantastic hedgerow plant. Um, lots of people don't like it uh, because it's suckers and it's got some quite nasty thorns to it. But mm. actually, it's one of our earliest flowering things. So it's it's out in flower right now and provides a fantastic early forage for for our early bee species. Um, mm. And then delicious damsons. That's sorry, damsons slows later on in the year. Slows. Um, and it makes a really good hedge as well. Really thick, nice outcrops, and actually and quite tall as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite a good species to, to to hedge lay as well. They've got a nice bit of flexibility in them. As long as you're wearing suitable clothing. <laughs> you find out to you that there is a clue in its name, Blackthorn. Um, yes. And actually they're quite um they're quite prickly. 
but you don't quite dangerous. To, you don't want to be prickled by one because they actually they can lead to some quite serious injuries. I was laying a hedge last winter um, and I got a blackthorn in my knuckle and my Ooh. finger swelled up so badly that I had to take my wedding ring off. And it was three months before I could get my wedding ring back on. Um, Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. They can do an awful lot of damage, blackthorns. Just by getting the thorn in your mm. knuckle? Yeah, they're, they're prone to, if you get a, a deep wound or like a proper puncture from one, um, which you will do if you let an entire blackthorn tree fall on your hand. Um, that, <laughs> <Note to self. laughs> don't don't try this at home. <laughs> um, they, they can do quite, they can do quite a lot of damage. They're prone, prone to getting infected and being a bit nasty. Oh god! But for well, that, you, it's still I one lo- of my favourite hedge plants. So but apart from that, <laughs> if I can forgive them, so can everyone else, right? Well, I love slows. Like we um, we like I'm trying to cut down on like purchasing like presents for people. I don't try to make stuff. So we go a bit of slow, responsible slow berry picking. So take enough to make some slow gin and stuff like that. And then we bottle it up <laughs> and give it as Christmas presents as Hampstead Heath slow gin. I mean, I could sell it for millions, but it's, um, but it's my favourite thing. It's one of my favourite things to do because it's just, it's so easy. But the reward is like, ah, oh, it's like, you know, I don't drink gin neat, but when you put slows in it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. I can drink Absolutely. that neat any day. <laughs> I would say slow gin is the gateway drug for uh, for hedgerow juice foraging. <laughs> because it always starts with slow gin and the next thing you know... <laughs> next thing you know, wines and you're going to have to take your fusions. wedding ring off because you've got swollen hands. <laughs> I love, did you say... What did you say? That it's slow gin is the gateway drug for... Hedgerow foraging. <laughs> Hedgerow foraging. I'm using that as a quote because I think that's absolutely brilliant. Um, so, right, let's talk about how we manage hedgerows in the UK because, like I said, they ca- the, the topic comes up seasonally on Twitter and, and seasonal, I'm sure you'll go into the reason why, but at certain times of the year, people start talking about hedgerows. Now, are they well managed in the UK or are we making some errors with our hedgerows? I think a bit of both, to be honest. Um, but first of all, I think it's quite important to say we've actually got quite a lot to thank farmers for when it comes to our hedges. You know, mm. it's actually centuries of farming that's led to this amazing network of hedges that we have today. So I think, you know, no matter how we think we might be able to improve the management of hedges, I, I think it, it's mm. certainly a good thing to recognise first. <laughs> we wouldn't have mm. them at all without without the sort of care and dedication that farmers have put into them over absolutely centuries. You know, we've actually still got ancient hedges that are, you know, over a thousand years old. And we've only got them because wow. of an unbroken chain of care from farmers um, who've sort of managed them over their life cycles, laid them periodically, once in a generation or something, and essentially made them that wonderful immortal habitat that they can be. But yeah, th- th- there are a few things that I think we could improve on nationally, certainly. Firstly, a lot of people will often talk about hedgerow loss, and I, and I think that's another prickly topic, really. And it's true, we, we did lose a huge amount of hedges uh, last century, but I think it's unfair to, to really point the finger at farmers for this. It was it was through incentives, it was through sort of an, a national push to be um, more self-sufficient with food, and, and really, they, they you know, 
incentives to actually to take the hedgerows out um, and since then luckily we've seen a complete u-turn um, and now we've got incentives to put hedgerows back in which is marvelous oh cool <laughs> which is marvelous so i'm actually seeing you know more hedgerow planting than ever before but you know of course it's not just about how much hedgerow we have it's about how healthy those hedgerows are and how we manage them has a has a huge great impact on that and again you know the way we've the way we manage hedges has changed quite a lot in the last century or so um largely they have sort of sadly um from my point of view they've sort of dropped out of the 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 management cycle which is sort of where you let them get bigger incrementally then you know you might put them into a period where you don't do anything to them at all and then you rejuvenate them you lay them or you coppice them and that's that's the bit that's the bit that makes them pretty much an immortal habitat you know they've got a set lifespan until you rejuvenate them through laying or coppicing and then you reset that clock and you give them a whole new lifespan and that's Amazing. how they they were always always managed historically um but the, the reason that changed really was we got we got better tools so we got machinery that enabled us to cut hedgerows right back to where they were at the beginning of the year which meant they never got sort of incrementally bigger we never put them into that period of non-intervention um, and we and we stopped sort of laying and coppicing them so much and unfortunately they can cope with that for a little while but after a few sort of decades you you start to see quite how badly that that will start to damage their structure so the the stem density declines they start getting a bit gappy they start hollowing at the base you know and and eventually you know without a bit of a change of management we we will lose them there, there are definitely things that we could be doing better and i would say you know there were some huge opportunities within that you know we've got some huge opportunities to recognize the mistakes of last century um, and put them right and it doesn't doesn't mean sort of going back to hand tools and all that sort of thing we can actually still use the tools that we've got we're going to need to because we don't have the farm labor that we used to to, to get around <laughs> yeah, hand good point, hedges yeah. every year <laughs> We can still use the tools that we've got. We just we just need to tweak the way that we use them, really. So mm. so easing off on a hedge, so just trimming it slightly higher, slightly wider, has a huge, huge impact on the hedge. So it sort of keeps more leafy growth on a hedge. It stops developing that sort of knuckle of scar tissue that you get at the trim line if it gets trimmed to the same height each year. So that's avoided. But also in the meantime, so it, it provides fantastic structural benefits to a hedge to trim them slightly bigger and higher and wider each time, but also to wildlife as well. I mean, hedges that are trimmed every year, most of the potential flowers and fruits get cut off because, of course, most yeah. hedgerow plants flower and fruit on second year wood and older. So if that gets cut off every single year, you know... That's well on there. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're providing only a fraction of the benefits to wildlife that they could be. Whereas if you cut them slightly higher and slightly wider, um, you've always got a sort of band of flowering and fruiting wood around the outside of your hedge. So no matter whether you're cutting it every year, every three years, or haven't cut it in a decade, you know, there will, there will always be that sort of flowering and fruiting wood there. So one thing I'm going to ask, and again, this might be an obvious question, because obviously I know what coppicing is, but I've never heard the term laying. What, what does, when you say laying with a hedge, what does that mean? Ah, oh, so this this is one of my favourite things with hedges. So hedge laying is, it's it's similar to coppicing, um in principle um but uh, creates a fantastic living living barrier um so what the, the idea is that when a hedge needs rejuvenating when it's sort of getting a bit mature or whether the stems are starting to decline or get a bit thick you actually what you can do is you 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 cut the stems at the bottom of the of each stem about 80% mm. of the way through and then you bend that stem over and wind it in with some stakes and some binders and to create a living uh. fence. And now what this does is twofold. So that bit that, that you've um, that you've bent over, that's 
still connected to the roots. So that's still alive. So that creates a fantastic instant living boundary. But actually, at the base of the hedge where you made that cut 80% of the way through, it's a little bit like when you coppice a shrub or a plant in that from one stem, you actually get many more stems shooting up. So from right. one stem that you that you cut and lay, you may sort of get 10, 15, 20 new shoots come up. And, and what this does is it really sort of thickens up the base of a hedge. It gives it so many more shoots. And often if you're going around looking at hedges, like I do all the time, um, <laughs> the, the first place I will, I'll normally look at a hedge to assess its health is actually the, the, the bottom of a hedge. You know, how many right. stems are there? How big are those stems? Is there a big gap between the ground and the leafy material? Which, which is what we'd call a leggy hedge. I like that term, <laughs> leggy hedge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and, and if so, actually, that th those are really all really good indicators that hedge needs that sort of laying or coppicing. Um, and again, Amazing. what that does is it really thickens it back up from the base. But what also it does, and I, and I don't know if you know this about coppicing as well, is that coppicing a tree will often extend its life. So it, it seems ah. completely counterintuitive because you've taken away quite a lot of the material but actually you know you get to a certain point of maturity with a tree or a shrub and it's looking you know it, it may start to decline it gets a bit older if you coppice it cut make cuts at the bottom then actually you get new shoots come up uh, and it, it essentially can make a shrub and or, or, or habitat like a hedge pretty much immortal so you know if you if you planted a load of trees in, in a hedgerow and didn't do anything to them They'd all sort of get a bit leggy. They'd sort of fall over. They'd die eventually. Whereas yeah. if you manage a hedge through like laying it, maybe once a generation or so, you can actually make your hedge last forever. And that's why we've still got some sort of thousand year old hedges knocking about. Because actually, you know, once once in a while, someone's gone over, cut the stems 80% 80, 80 of the way through, and off you get all this fantastic new regrowth at the bottom. It's like you're taking years off its life and letting it grow again. <laughs> it's like plastic surgery. <laughs> to me, it's sort of like reincarnating yeah. a hedge. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that with coppice. I didn't realise you were like kind of in some forms, you know, extending or I guess helping the, the age of the tree, really. Absolutely. Kind of... Well, some of our oldest trees are coppice trees. I think we've got fantastic coppice lime trees that have been going there for thousands of years. That's amazing. That's so, so cool. Okay, so last question of the podcast is if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, what would it be? This is difficult. I've got far, far too much to say. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think when it comes down to it, I would say keep watching the natural world, keep learning about it, keep admiring it and keep soaking up information because you will never have learned everything there is to learn about the natural world. And as long as you keep interested in it, you'll find new and exciting things every time that you look. Keep your mind and your eyes open to it. And if you could pass on one bit of advice about hedgerows, if there's people listening that might have hedgerows <laughs> at home, they might have hedgerows along their back of their garden, they might have a large plot of land, which I'd be very jealous of. What, <laughs> what one bit of hedgerow advice would you say? I would say hedgerows are not green walls, so don't manage them like green walls. They need to be managed dynamically. They are a living habitat and actually they thrive with management that changes over time according to where they are in their life cycle. We've actually created an app that makes that really easy. I don't know if I'm allowed to plug my app here. Oh my God, <laughs> plug the app. That's okay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've created an app called Healthy Hedgerows, which is designed for farmers and landowners specifically. It uses six questions, fairly basic questions. So you look at 
um, the height, the width, the base canopy, the trees, gaps, um, and the structure. So we've got sort of 10 images that you can compare your hedge to. And between those different questions, it pinpoints where on the hedgerow's sort of inherent life cycle each hedgerow is. And then wow. instantly gives you back a set of options about how you could manage that to make sure it sort of maintains or, 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 or gets um, put back into a really good sort of healthy condition. That's so cool. See, that is using technology with the environment at the side. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's on apps and phones and smartphones and everyone has that. <laughs> and now we're using oh, I love it. Like that. I love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I absolutely love it. So, so do I, so do I. Yeah, and it's, it's, so it's cool. completely free. It's completely free. So if you if you fancy it, um have a download, healthy hedgerows. It's very simple and it's trying to basically reinstate this sort of this idea that hedges need to be managed on their life cycle. And it's not easy to do. It's, it's easy to do that for one or two hedges. You know, if you've got a hedge in your garden, then have a look at some of the resources that we've got about the life cycle of a hedge. But, you know, we, we appreciate it's not easy to do that if you've got a whole farm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it becomes much more difficult. Sometimes you just need the got. answers, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the idea really behind the app was to make something that's simple enough and quick enough to be able to survey all of your hedges and help you sort of create a sort of farm scale management plan through it. Oh my God, imagine if people just, imagine if everyone got the app and then when you're on the walk, you just answer the questions about the hedgerow, find out the best plan and just post it to the farmer or the landowner. <laughs> By the way, I've been told this is your hedge management plan. <laughs> I mean, it that might could be work. a really sneaky way I, of using I'd the app. I'd recommend a little bit more prior communication personally. <laughs> It's like it's a whole new world of guerrilla gardening. <laughs> Got sending an email instead. Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> I love it. But like you said, I chat to them way before. Yeah, not not my not my preferred route to be honest. <laughs> Um, Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Um, and to find out more about a topic, like I said, that I'm seeing increasingly more um, awareness of and talk of and just, you know, getting that word out about hedgerows, their importance and what we should be doing with them. So thank you so much for being on Into the Foliage. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Megan is working on, then you can do so on social media. Her tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. If you would like a shout out on the show or to be put into a draw to win a free Into the Wild podcast mug, yes please, then all you have to do is review the show on iTunes or Spotify or both and send me a screen grab, take part in our weekly nature highlight share every Sunday on Instagram, or you can tip Into the Wild via our Ko-fi link in the write-up of this episode. Of course, you can do all three of those things and increase your chance of winning the monthly mug. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life. <laughs>